We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. You may all be seated. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, that it is not only true, but that it is living and active, that it is personal. And so God, we pray that you would speak to us today through your word, that you would come to us, each of us individually, where we are, however we find ourselves, Uh, Lord, that you would speak in a powerful way that we would know that we are known by you. Lord, that whatever burdens we've brought here, no matter what struggles we've brought into this place, no matter what a mess our lives are, God, that you understand, that you know, and that you love us. Father, we pray that you would speak to those of us who question your existence, that you would speak to those, those of us who are thinking about giving up on you, to those of us, Lord, who feel stuck, to those of us who feel indifferent and we're wondering why we're at church today, to those of us who are hungry to know you more. We all need the same thing. We need you. We need Jesus. And so, God, come and hear the abundant riches of your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Dave, I'm one of the pastors here, and today we are finishing our sermon series in the book of James. We've been calling this sermon series Living Faith, and in this series, James has been teaching us what living faith looks like. Uh, We all want to have living faith, not dead faith. 
Now, the Bible teaches us that we cannot save ourselves by our good works. No one can be good enough. We can't earn God's approval. We can't earn God's love. We can't earn God's blessings or his favor. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But at the same time, James has been showing us that saving faith doesn't leave us alone. When we come to God with saving faith, which is living faith, it makes a difference. It changes our lives. It changes the way that we see the world. It changes the way that we see other people, and it changes the way that we live. And so we've been looking at how living faith changes the way that you think about suffering. We've been looking at how living faith changes the way that you deal with the Bible. We've been looking at how changing a living faith changes the way that you think about justice and the poor. Living faith changes the way that you use your words. Living faith changes the way that you think about humility. Living faith changes the way that you think about your money. And today, in this last sermon in the series, at the very end of this letter, James teaches us that living faith changes the way that you think about your health. Now, you might think, when you are sick, when you, especially if you have a serious illness, that would be the easiest time and the most natural time to pray. Uh, if you're sick, you pray and you ask God to heal you. But the truth is, if you have ever experienced serious illness, or you have a loved one who has experienced ser serious illness, you probably know that serious illness can actually challenge your faith instead of growing your faith. In fact, a fatal illness, a, a sickness that can kill you, actually can kill your faith before it kills you. Uh, my dad passed away 25 years ago from cancer. And when he was first diagnosed with cancer, uh, I, I took it really hard, and I actually stopped talking to God. I considered myself a Christian. I didn't abandon my faith. I didn't stop going to church. I still read the Bible. I still went to church every Sunday, but I couldn't get myself to pray. When other people prayed, it felt empty. And, and I knew that I couldn't really pray about anything except for God to heal my dad, but the possibility that God might say no just scared me. And so I gave God the silent treatment. I stopped praying. My faith was being challenged by my dad's illness. Uh, I started talking to God again after I started sharing about my dad in my community group. I had actually skipped going to community group for a long time because I knew that I would have to talk about my dad, and it was way too triggering, but I finally got myself to go, and when I shared, other people started praying over me and over my family. And I, as I listened to them pray week after week, I started gradually, not immediately, gradually talking to God again. And... As you, probably, you already know, um, I asked God for healing, but God did not heal my dad. But he answered my prayers. Because in this 
intense tragedy in my family, what could have killed my faith, killed, what could have killed my dad's faith, what could have killed my family's faith, actually grew our faith, and we grew closer to God and found peace in the end. In today's passage, James shows us that living faith cannot be destroyed by the most serious illness. The scariest thing that we could lose is not your money, it's not your pride, it's not an argument. The scariest thing that you could lose is your health. But even that cannot destroy a living faith. And so we're going to unpack this passage by looking at three things. Number one, we're going to look at how healing always begins with prayer. Number two, we're going to look at how prayer pursues righteousness. And number three, we're going to look at how God's grace ends with healing every time. Let's start with the first point. Healing always begins with prayer. Uh, If someone with a serious illness came to you and, and told you, you know, I've tried everything and all I can do now is pray, what would you think that their chances were? Probably not very good. When it comes to our health, we often think of prayer as a last resort, and James is telling us in this passage that prayer should be our first resort. In verse 15, he says, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. In verse 16, he says, pray for each other so that you may be healed. James says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it's effective. And as he closes this letter about living faith, James wants us to believe that prayer works, that prayer makes a difference, that prayer can heal the sick. And some of you might be thinking, well, of course James wrote that. People didn't have modern medicine in the ancient world. All they had was a prayer. They had no choice. But that's actually not completely true. Uh, Luke, you remember, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the author of the book of Acts was actually what? He was a physician. He was a doctor. That's what he did for a living. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul actually tells Timothy that before you go to sleep, drink a little bit of wine. Don't just drink water because of your chronic illness and your stomachache that you're experiencing. Paul's giving Timothy medical advice. In the parable of the Good Samaritan in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10, uh, a Samaritan finds a man who's been left for dead on the road. And what's the first thing that he does? He doesn't pray. The first thing that he does is he treats him. He binds his wounds, and then he pours oil, his ointment, to soothe his wounds, and he pours over wine to sterilize his wounds. He's giving medical care to this man who is wounded. People in the ancient world, they actually practiced medicine. It's not, it wasn't as effective as modern medicine, but it existed. And in fact, the reason James is telling his first century audience to pray when they get ill is because prayer didn't come naturally. Just like today, people in the first century didn't think that prayer was a powerful and effective way to pursue healing. They thought prayer was a last resort. Now, when you have a serious illness, it's easy to get consumed with learning about your illness, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you could spend countless hours 
reading on WebMD or some other website to learn about your disease. You could go on forums to see how other people have been dealing with their sickness. You can obsess over your odds of survival, but even in the age of modern medicine, medicine doesn't always work. James wants us to see that all healing ultimately comes from God. One New Testament scholar puts it this way. He says, medicine, uh, he says, doctors dress the wound, but God heals it. Uh, and so medicine is good. It's a gift from God. We should always, it's always good and right and godly to pursue the best medical care, to take advantage of the best medical care that we can receive. God uses medicine to heal us, but good medicine can never replace prayer because healing even when it comes through medicine, still comes from God. James says prayer is powerful and effective. Living faith is a praying faith. Living faith prays through suffering. Living faith praises through happiness. Living faith prays for healing. Living faith believes that prayer makes all the difference in the world. To put it another way, Living faith is not defined by what you do. Living faith is defined by what you ask. John Owen, who was a theologian who wrote in the 1600s, he put it this way. He said, a minister may fill his pews, his communion roll, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. Now, that is really convicting, especially for a minister, but it should be convicting to us all because at the end of the day, who we are, if you are a Christian, if you believe that you are living with living faith, who you are is not defined by what you do and what you accomplish. It is defined by what you ask. Who you are on your knees before God Almighty, that is who you are and no more. And so how important is prayer to your life? Is your life merely the product of hard work or good luck? Or is it one big answer to prayer? Are you defined by what you do? Or are you defined by what you pray? Living faith is a praying faith. Prayer is never a last resort to, to someone who is living with living faith. It is the first resort because what you are in secret, on your knees, before God Almighty, is who you are and no more. Healing begins with prayer because prayer is powerful and effective. But sometimes you can pray for healing and not receive healing. Why? Why doesn't God heal us every time we ask him to? If he, prayer is powerful and effective, why is it that God sometimes says no? Which brings us to our second point. Prayer pursues righteousness. There are people who believe that God will always heal you if you have enough faith. Uh, and that is an unbiblical idea, 
and it is a dangerous idea, and it is a cruel idea. Because if that were true, it would mean that any time someone dies of an illness or has an illness that isn't healed, that they did something wrong. It's their fault. It's because they were not righteous enough, or it's because they didn't have enough faith. Their faith was too weak. I mean, that's a cruel thing to think, much less to say. It would also mean that if you prayed with enough faith, you could get anything that you want. And that is a dangerous thought. At the end of the book, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the first Harry Potter book, we're introduced to Nicholas Flamel, uh, who is this chemist, alchemist, who is 655 years old. And the reason why he's so old he's, is because he has this magical stone called the Sorcerer's Stone, which has the power to do two things. It has the power to create gold, and so you, it has the power to make you as rich as you want to be, and it has the power to create something called the elixir of life, which gives you immortality. So all the money that you want, all the health that you want, all the life that you want, the two things that everybody wants. And uh, Dumbledore explains to Harry that this is a dangerous magical device that must be destroyed, and this is what he says. Professor Dumbledore says, as much money in life as you could want, the two, most human, uh, the two things most human beings would choose above all. The trouble is, humans have a knack of choosing precisely those things that are worst for them. Danger, uh, Dumbledore is talking about how dangerous it is to actually get what you want all the time. You might think that healing for sick, from sickness is always the best thing, a good thing, but keep in mind that Voldemort, the evil wizard who is the, 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 the evil that must be defeated in this book, he's the one who wanted the Sorcerer's Stone. He wanted et eternal life. He wanted to be healed from any sickness or any threat to his health, and it would have been disastrous for the world. See, the reason that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective is not because it produces whatever you want. It's because the prayer of a righteous person produces righteousness. The prayer of a pers righteous person produces what is right. The prayer of a righteous person produces, per pursues not what we want, but what God wants. Think about the example of Elijah that James gives us in this passage. El Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Why did he do that? Is it because he wanted to, you know, have nice weather for a picnic? Or he, he didn't want it to rain on his trip to the beach? Why did James pray that it would stop raining? Because it was the only way to convince the evil King Ahab that he had led his entire country into evil and injustice and oppression. It wasn't for his own benefit. It was a way of pursuing righteousness. When God doesn't give you what you want in your prayers, it means that he is giving you the answer that you need, not the answer that you want. And that his vision of righteousness for your life, his vision of goodness in your life, his vision of what is best is better than yours. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that he had a thorn in his side, and no one knows what this thorn was. It might have been a health problem. It might have been sickness. It might have been a chronic illness. 
It might have been a, a, a conflict that he had someone that wouldn't go away. We don't know, but whatever it was, we know that it was tormenting him, that it was, it, it was creating immense pain in his life. And Paul says that he asked God to remove the thorn three times, and God answered, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God was telling Paul that he had a better vision for his life. All Paul could see was his pain, but God saw how his power would be made perfect in his weakness. Many of you have heard the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, we've talked about her at our church. When she was 17 years old, she had a tragic diving accident. She dove into shallow water and was paralyzed from the neck down, and she became a quadriplegic. Uh, Johnny has survived cancer. She actually survived COVID this past year. And uh, this is a woman who knows what it is to suffer. And after her accident, she talks about how she descended into depression. And she says this, she says, if God allowed my accident to happen at such a young age, an accident that left me quadriplegic, then what might he do next? What else would he do? And Johnny had a friend named Steve uh, who was able to comfort her with just the right words. He told her, Johnny, sometimes God permits what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. And there it is. Sometimes the best thing that God can give us is something that he hates. Pain, suffering, loss. But if God is good, and he's, if he, God is faithful, and if God loves you, then he can even take what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Now, Johnny couldn't figure this out on her own. She needed a friend to help her pursue God's righteousness in her prayers. And we all need help, and this is why James tells us to get help with our prayers. He says, is anyone among you sick, in verse 14? And then he doesn't say pray. He says, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. And then in verse 16, he says, pray for each other so that you may be healed. And in verse 14, he tells the elders to anoint them with oil. Some of you were wondering, what in the world is the Bible talking about with anointing with oil? You're in good company because that's exactly what I was thinking this week as I read this part. And I read several commentaries, and I figured out none of the Bible scholars know what he's talking about here either. But I think what's clear, uh, if, if this helps, is that you can't anoint yourself, right? If you, if you just got some olive oil and, like, put it on your forehead, like, that would do nothing for you. But when someone who loves you comes to pray with you and takes, there's, there's something so intimate about it. Someone puts oil on your forehead and anoints you with oil, you know that you're not alone. You know that there are other people praying for you. You know that God is with you. And so if you want to pursue what is right and good in your prayers, the prayer of a righteous person is not something that you could accomplish by yourself. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need your church. You need your church to help you see God when you are sick. And you need your church because you not only need righteousness, but you need grace. 
Righteousness without grace is cold comfort. When you're suffering, you don't need someone to say, this is for your own good. That is not going to help you. you. Even if it's true, it's only going to pour salt on the wound. You need to hear that someone who loves you hates what's happening to you. You need to be pursued by God's love before you can pursue God's righteousness. And so this brings us to our last point. God's grace ends with healing every single time. Throughout this passage, James emphasizes the importance of confessing our sin. And in the last verses of the book, James urges us to help our brothers and sisters if they wander from the truth. James uh, says that faith and righteousness are important, and then he assumes that we're not going to be faithful, we're not going to be righteous, we're going to need to confess our sins, we're going to need forgiveness, we're going to have a multitude of sins that need to be covered by God's grace. James knows that no matter how hard we try, we will never be righteous enough this side of heaven. Our faith will never be strong enough this side of heaven. And so the only way that God will hear our prayers and receive it as righteousness is through his mercy. And you know what this means? This means that you can fail upwards in your prayers. When you talk about somebody who fails upwards, you're talking about someone who doesn't deserve to get promoted but gets promoted anyway. Someone who's constantly messing up at work, but instead of getting demoted, they get promoted. When we talk about somebody who fails upwards, we're talking about that CEO that drives his company into the ground, but still somehow lands at another job where they got another shot to be a CEO. We hate people who fail upwards. But here's the thing. In the kingdom of God, the only way upwards is through your failure. When you come to God, all you can bring is your failure. And yet, because God is gracious, and because he is merciful, and because he loves you, he will take you upwards. He will anoint you with oil. He will smile down upon you. And he will take even what he hates in your life and use it to accomplish what he loves in your life. God looks at your failure and instead of mockery or condemnation or judgment, God gives you blessing. And that is why we can always pray for healing with confidence. God's grace always ends in healing. James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Forgiveness always leads to healing. Before Jesus healed the paralytic in Luke chapter 5, do you remember what he did? He said, your sins are forgiven. There is no healing without forgiveness, but where there is forgiveness, there is always healing. And this is why the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 53, verse 5, he says this about the Messiah, that he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, you are healed. Jesus was pierced. He was crushed for your sin so that you will be healed. 
And so one way or other, whether it is in this life or the next life, God will heal you. One way or another, grace always ends in healing. Last year, Jonathan Evans, who is the youngest son of Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans, and his wife, Dr. Lois Evans, spoke at the funeral of his mother. And I'm not going to do this justice, so do yourself a favor and just Google Jonathan Evans' eulogy and listen to it today after church. But at this funeral, during this eulogy, uh, Jonathan starts by talking about how his mother's death made him question God. And he said, if we have victory in your name, didn't you hear us when we're praying? He's talking to God. And then he says that God answered him, and he says, because of the victory that I have given you, there were always only two answers to your prayers. Either she was going to be healed, or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live, or she was going to live. Either she was going to be with family, or she was going to be with family. Either she was going to be well taken care of, or she was going to be well taken care of. Victory belongs to me. Because of what I've already done for you, the two answers to your prayer are yes and yes, because victory belongs to Jesus. This table declares that God's answer to your prayers are always yes and yes. And when he doesn't give you what you want, it is to give you what you need. It could be no other way because Christ was pierced and crushed to save you. And he shed his blood to redeem you. And so on the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat of it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you not only tell us about your love for us, you not only tell us about your salvation, you not only tell us that the scariest thing that we could lose, our health cannot destroy us, and it cannot destroy our hope or our faith or our joy or our sense of peace and well-being. You show it to us through this bread and through this wine. And so, God, we pray that you would use this bread and wine to unite us with Jesus, to strengthen our faith, and to help us to taste and to see your mercy anew today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, we're going to have two stations, one on your left and one on your right. Uh, at these stations, uh, you will find in the first tray bread. If you need a gluten-free option, you'll find a gluten-free option on the white table. Uh, and then on the second tray, you will find red wine. And if you need a 
non-alcoholic option, you will find clear grape juice in the outer ring of each tray. If you're not sure which is which, when you come forward, you could ask the person who's serving you, and they can help make sure that you, you get the right element. We start in the front row, and we come down the center row, which means if you're in one of the outer sections, you can just follow the row across the aisle from you. Uh, if you are here and you are unconvinced of the claims of Christianity and you are not ready to say that you are a Christian, we are so glad that you are here. And we ask that you don't come forward when everyone else comes forward. Because when you take the Lord's Supper, you are saying that you believe in Jesus. And if you are not ready to do that, please don't. We are a church where you can belong before you believe, and you can take all the time you need to wrestle with the questions that you have about belief. And so don't come forward, but stay where you are. There's no shame in that. And you can observe, consider the things that you've heard. And if you look in the back of our worship guides, there are some prayers that you could pray during this time. If you do believe that Jesus is your Savior, and that in his broken body and his shed blood, that God's answers to you are yes and yes. Come, take, and eat of the bread and the wine. These are the gifts of God, and they're for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
the Lord's Supper. It doesn't belong to us, it belongs to Jesus. And so, before we partake, let's confess what we believe together with Christians all over the world and throughout history. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and when born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven, take and eat. The cup, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation, take and drink. Pray again. Father, we thank you for these gifts. The body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ shed for us to give us salvation and joy and abundant life. And so, God, we pray that you would build up our faith, that you would heal us and meet us in the places that we're hurting, and that you would make us agents of healing. Lord, that we would see those around us who are hurting here in our church family, but also outside of our church in the city of Oakland. And throughout the Bay Area. God, make us agents of your healing that Jesus would be made glorious in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.